We're glad you've joined us today on the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We believe you'll hear a message that will minister to you and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Let's listen now to the message. Hello, everybody. My name is Rachel Warren. I'm the, like Chapman said earlier, I'm the kids pastor here at Christian Ministries, and I also teach kindergarten to first grade at CMA. Um, so I'm just glad that you guys are here. Um, I'm honored to be with you guys here again um, in what we lovingly call Big Church down at uh, Kids Church. So has anybody else been just loving this series? Oh man, it's been so good. Um, If you were here when I spoke in October, you may remember me talking about my love for stories. So this series has absolutely been one of my favorites. It's been so good, so powerful. Uh, What I really like about this series and our vision this year is that it's so fundamental. And and fundamental is good. It's really good. Um, I just finished coaching a group of third and fourth grade girls in volleyball. And some of them had never played before. Some of them had, had some basics. But regardless of their skill level, we still started with the fundamentals. And anybody that's played sports can say that the starting practice every year before you start the season, you start with fundamentals, you start with the basics, and then you progress up from there. We teach fundamentals in the beginning to build good form. And we review fundamentals afterward and every year so that we can maintain good form. The same is true for our faith. We've got to build good form, and then we've got to maintain good form. So that's what I'm loving about this series, what I'm loving about what we're doing here. It's such a powerful, powerful uh, time to be in, um, in the house of the Lord. So I'm glad you guys are here today. Um, just a verse that kind of solidifies that and goes with it. It says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's building and maintaining. That's what it is. Uh, So whether you've heard these stories your whole life or this is your first time hearing them, this series has been and is going to continue to be powerful. Here's what I'll say. If you've missed any of them, I encourage you to make time to listen to them. We're blessed to live in a day of technology that allows us to do that. It's really awesome. Um, I've been so thankful that we're able to record and post the sermons because normally on Wednesday nights, I'm down in the lower building, and so I don't get to hear this live. But thanks to podcasts, thanks to YouTube, thanks to the recordings that we're doing, I haven't missed out on one sermon that we've done up here on Wednesdays. And so I've just been so thankful. So I just want to encourage you, if you've missed any of them, they've all been awesome. You need to get in and and listen to them. They've been great. Um, And I just want to say that from someone who has had to put the work in. I've had to do it. It's, It's... It takes time. You've got to put the work in, but it's so worth it. It is so worth it. So um, I just want to encourage you to do that. The person that I get to talk to you about tonight is John the Baptist. He is one of my all-time favorite Bible characters, and he's one whose story really resonates with me. As a child, few specific things characterized John the Baptist in my mind. Uh, First, he was the cousin of Jesus. He ate weird food and dressed funny. Um, He was the person who baptized Jesus, and he died by being beheaded, which is not as fun. Um, The church that I grew up in, our Sunday school, uh, we always had like the 18 by 24 posters that the teachers would always use, and I just always remember being scarred after talking about John the Baptist, because out of all the pictures they could have used, that was the one that they decided to put with the children, so, um, but, and that's, it's, I mean, it's, it's 
gruelly and it's, it's awful, um, but it is part of his story, and we're going to talk about that um, tonight. So maybe some of you were in the same boat I was that just had a general idea of who John the Baptist is or just had a very basic understanding of what he, who he was and what he did. Um, but as I grew older, I really started reading and studying more about John the Baptist, and I really came to respect and admire him and his mark on history. Like so many others we've already covered in this series— There is so much that we can learn from what is written about John the Baptist, but we could be here for hours if we did that. So I may not hit every single passage of John's life, but I do want to give you a general overview tonight, and then I want to talk about some things we can learn from the life of John that we can apply to our own life. John's story starts, sorry, John's story starts many, many years before he was actually born. In Genesis, we read about sin entering the world through Adam and Eve, and it separated mankind from their creator. God always wanted us to have a relationship with him, but the price of sin had to be paid. Woven throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we find multiple prophecies about a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior. These prophecies told how he would be born, where he would be born, information about his family line, that he would speak in parables, prophecies about his death, and much more. There were ancient words throbbing with promise. The Messiah is coming. Amidst the hundreds of prophecies that we find about Jesus, the Messiah, we also see the foretelling of another figure, a forerunner. In Isaiah 43, it says, The voice of someone crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Malachi 3.1 says, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Okay, now let's jump ahead a few hundred years. In the beginning of Luke, we are introduced to Zechariah, who was a Jewish priest, and his wife, Elizabeth. They were both from the line of Aaron and therefore part of the Levite tribe, which was the tribe God had appointed to be the priests of Israel. Zechariah and Elizabeth, in Luke 1, 1.6-7, it says this, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So one day, Zechariah, he's serving in the temple, doing his priest thing, and he goes into the sanctuary of the Lord to burn the incense. And while he was there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Zechariah is shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he sees them, just as you and I would be if an angel showed up in the middle of us doing our job. I mean, I can just imagine. My sister has a like, life-size cutout of Captain America that she sticks in her bedroom, and every time I, every time I see it, I freak out. So I can understand where Zachariah was when an angel suddenly appears in, out of nowhere. 
Angels are quite the sight to see, and we know this because in most of the stories we read about angels showing up, they never offer hello as their greeting. It's always, don't be afraid. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's too late for that. It's not hard being scared. But the angel tells Zechariah that he and his wife will soon have a son and that they are to name him John. The angel goes on to say in Luke 1, 14 through 17, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Sound familiar? Some of those verses sound an awful lot like what we just read out of the New Testament. Zechariah responds this way. How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said... You will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. This isn't the first time that we see something like this happening in the Bible. If you recall, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, a similar storyline and response can be found in Genesis 17, 17, when God promises a son to Abraham in his old age. So what's the difference here? Why does Zechariah become mute but not Abraham? At first glance, I thought it could be a tone thing. You know how you say the same word in a different tone and it's got a completely different meaning? Okay and okay are not the same thing. But as I looked deeper, I read something that was very interesting. The difference is that Abraham thought it and Zechariah said it. Sometimes... Actually, all the time. We need to keep our mouth shut and let the Lord do what he says he's going to do. Don't let your doubt out of your mouth. That's where we get ourselves in trouble. We can have it thought process. I mean, it's going to happen. The devil's going to try and put those thoughts of doubt in our head. We can't let them out of our mouth. We're going to move on. Zachariah finished his duties silently. He returned home, and soon Elizabeth became pregnant, just as the angel said. When, Is when Elizabeth was around six months pregnant, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who had just received her own visit from Gabriel the angel, that also had the greetings of do not be afraid, um, she, he, she came to visit Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting as she came in the door, baby John leapt for joy inside of Elizabeth's womb, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was the first part of the angel's prophecy about John, being, about John being fulfilled. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth was given revelation that the child that Mary was carrying was the promised Messiah. Soon John was born, and all the neighbors and friends were celebrating, rejoicing with Elizabeth. And it came time to name the baby. In those days, and we see this a lot sometimes now as well, it was customary for them to name the child after a family member. So all the people there, they expected them to name the baby Zachariah after his father. Elizabeth quickly told everybody, no, 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 no. He's going to be named John. 
And whether they didn't want to take mom's word for it, or they just wanted to make sure she wasn't taking advantage of Zachariah not being able to talk, um, we don't know. But they asked Zachariah what he wanted to name the baby. Zachariah called for a writing tablet, and he set the record straight, surprising everybody. The baby would be named John. In doing this, Zachariah was showing his faith in what had been spoken, aligning himself with God. As soon as he wrote this, he was able to speak again, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit as well, and he began to prophesy about Jesus and John. Of John, he said, in Luke 1, 76 and 77, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and because you will prepare the way for the Lord, you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Parents, what are you speaking over your kids? Are you speaking in faith over them? Are the words that are coming out of your mouth in contradiction to what God says or in agreement? It's really important. It's really important. I am around kids all day, every day. And I can tell you that I know the difference between a child that's got faith being spoken over them and a child that does not. They, can, they, they receive that. You are the most powerful voice in their life. And if you are not speaking in faith over them, what do they have to believe? The Bible tells us that John grew up and became strong in spirit. And then he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry. The Gospels of Matthew and Mark tell us that his clothing was made of camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. What is super cool about this is that when Gabriel visited Zechariah in the temple, he told him that John would be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, a powerful prophet from the Old Testament. Check out this passage that describes Elijah from 2 Kings. They answered him. He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. While this only talks about John's outer appearance, it does show us that John by faith, has stepped into the identity of what had been prophesied about him. These passages also tell us that for food, he ate locusts and honey, which is much less cool. Um, I've tried grasshopper before. (laughs) Even with the barbecue seasoning, I was not a fan. Um, And I like my honey straight from the jar without bees swarming all around. So I don't think that was a luxury that John had living in the wilderness. Didn't come with the little bear, honey, honey bear jar. He had to go get that out himself. But what was very interesting about his food choices is that John was a Levite. So he had access to the portion that God had set aside for the tribe of Levi. And he still chose to eat what he ate and stay in the wilderness. It's pretty cool. While in the wilderness, John received a message from God and he began preaching on both sides of the Jordan River. His message was urgent And simple, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. After people would confess their sins, he would baptize them. He started to gain quite a following and quite a reputation. People from all over were coming to hear him preach. Not only would he preach about repentance from sin, but he also would call people out, and he told them that their relation to Abraham alone was not going to save them. 
He also told the people that there was another coming after him that was far greater than he was and that he would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. He was telling them about Jesus. The religious leaders got very curious about John after some, hearing some of the stuff that people were saying about him. They had read and studied the scriptures from the prophets of old, and people began questioning if John was the Messiah. Each time that they asked him, each time he was questioned with, are you the Messiah, John quickly and flatly denied it. One day as John was baptizing in the Jordan River, Jesus came to be baptized. John tried to talk him out of it by saying that he should be getting baptized by Jesus and not the other way around. But in the end, John did agree to baptize Jesus, and when Jesus came out of the water, the heavens split apart, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, and a voice spoke from heaven saying, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. It's out of Mark 3.11. After that, that moment where he baptized Jesus and he was given the revelation for sure, John was, began testifying that Jesus was the one that he was talking about and identified him as the Lamb of God that had come to save the people from their sins. John continued to preach, continued to call for repentance, continued to baptize people. Jesus began his ministry. He calls his disciples, and he also began, they, they also began baptizing people. In John 3, 26 through 36, we read one of my favorite passages about John. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one who identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everyone is going to him instead of us. John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with great joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. In this passage, John is elevating Jesus. And he's setting the record straight by declaring this isn't a competition. It's a joint ministry. John goes on to publicly call out Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying his brother's wife, Herodias. And Herod had him arrested, and this ultimately resulted in John's death when Herodias' daughter was granted anything she wanted, to which she asked for John's head on a platter. While John's death is very disturbing and not easy to talk about, John truly lived out what Paul writes about in Philippians 1, 20 and 21. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
from the time that he could talk and understand God's call in his life until he took his very last breath, John knew he was on assignment. John's story is a powerful story and one that we can all learn learn from, but I want to point out a few specific things. John had faith in who he was. He wasn't the Messiah. He was the forerunner to him. Now, I've used this word forerunner a few times tonight, and many pastors, scholars, teachers refer to John as the forerunner to Christ. But what does that mean? The definition of forerunner is one that precedes and indicates the approach of another. A synonym for it is a harbinger. And in medieval times, when a big party of people, especially one that contained royalty, was traveling, they would send an arbinger ahead of them to let others know that they were coming, what they needed to prepare for, what to get ready. That's what John was sent to do. Make it known. The king is coming. He was the opening act. The opening act is just a sign and a promise that the main act is coming. It's the preview to the main feature. Get your popcorn, grab your seats, get ready. It's almost time. The wait is almost over. The Messiah is on his way. This wasn't a slam to John. He fully accepted his subordinate role. In an age where the world calls us to seek hard after success, fortune, and fame, John's life directly contrasted it. We have to know who we are. We have to find our identity in who God says that we are. It's not in our clothes, not in the food we eat, not in the haircut we have, our job, the car we drive, our hobbies, how much money we make, or anything else that culture tells us should define who we are. I'm not saying that having those things or desiring those things is wrong, It just shouldn't define us. It's not about us. It's about him. He's the main character of the story. I want to revisit a verse that we read in the passage earlier. John 3.30. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. This is one of my favorite verses because this is where I want my heart to always be. What I want to define Rachel Marie Warren when I leave this earth and go home What I want people to remember about me and my life is not that I was pretty, which I am. Not that I have good hair, which I do. Not that I was an amazing kids pastor, which I am. Not that I like Dr. Pepper or elephants or Anne of Green Gables or any other things that my friends can tell you that I enjoy. But I want what to be remembered about me when I leave this earth is that my treasure was always in heaven and that Jesus was everything to me. What I want becomes less. What I think becomes less. What I desire becomes less. And what he wants, what he thinks, what he desires becomes more. Second point is this. John had faith in what he was called to do. He was called to prepare the way for the Lord. John had been called since before his birth. He had been prophesied over, and in the home he grew up in, he knew about those prophecies. But John had free will. 
He could choose to embrace the call on his life, or he could choose to reject it. And he chose to embrace it fully, even to the end of his life. That took faith. On the days that nobody listened, did God actually call me? When he was sitting in prison, am I sure that that was true? All of us have been called. And we've all been called to ministry. We've just been called to it in different ways. Through different avenues. I was just as called to minister to people when I was working at a vet clinic as I am called to minister to people standing up here right now. Some of us know exactly what that is from early on, like John. And for some of us, it takes a little bit more time, like it did Paul. But we have to make a conscious choice and effort to embrace that call. And it's going to take faith. Faith that you have been called. Faith that God's going to equip you for what he will have you do and say. John's message was an urgent one. He said what people needed to hear and not what they wanted to hear. He consistently pointed them to the Savior that he knew they needed and that he needed himself. He was unafraid to call out sin regardless of what that cost him. He knew the risk and he did it anyway. He counted the cost. I love how the Holy Spirit works because Pastor Melanie's sermon on Sunday set this up perfectly. <laughs> if you missed it, again, I encourage you, listen to the podcast, watch it on YouTube because it was powerful. We're living in a culture where the message we preach needs to be urgent. People are dying and going to hell, guys. And the church is sitting quietly. I say the church has been silent long enough. This is why the culture conference that we're doing next week is so important. You've heard us talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And you're probably tired of hearing us talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. But the reason we keep bringing it up is because we see a culture of people who don't know who they are. They don't know why they're here. They're dealing with spiritual warfare and they're smacking a disorder label on it and accepting it as who they are. They're accepting it as their identity. There's people living in direct opposition to what God says and wondering why their finances, their health, and their relationships are in total shambles. They're being lied to by the enemy every single day. Church, we have something. We've got to do something. We have to do something. We have ceased to call out sin in the name of loving people. But that isn't love. My roommate Shelby has a saying that is so good. I just love it so much. It says, truth without love isn't truth. But love without truth isn't love. Hear me, you have to have both. They go hand in hand. Somebody has to cry out in the wilderness. Somebody has to point them to the cross. We can't save them from their sin. We don't have that power. But we know the one who can. We aren't their savior, but we can make a way for the one who is. We can prepare the way for God to come in and do a work in them. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. 
listen, there's going to be people that get mad. There's going to be people that call you names. There's going to be people that reject you. But we've got to get to the point where God's opinion of us matters more to us than what man's opinion does. Now, I'm not saying go out and have a keyboard fight with the next person you see on Facebook that's posted something awful, okay? But we have to, be, we have to love people enough to speak truth and love to them and pray for opportunities to do so. Pray for their hearts to receive. Lastly, John had faith in who Jesus was. By faith, John recognized who Jesus was in his person and what Jesus had come to do in his mission. He was the Lamb of God. He affirmed that and he proclaimed it. He recognized Jesus and he told people what to look for so that they could recognize him when he showed up in their lives. We're to do that too. We aren't Jesus, but we can tell them what Jesus looks like by the way we live our life and by the way we talk to them so that when he shows up, when that seed has been watered, when that seed has been planted, all of a sudden it just comes alive in their minds. This isn't to say that John didn't struggle because in Matthew 11 it tells us that while John was in prison, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he really was the Messiah. Some scholars speculate that it may be because Jesus was so different from what John had envisioned, he began to wonder if he really was the Messiah. Here's the deal. Faith is a fight. And when we struggle, we have to remember to go to the source. When it doesn't look like we think it should, when it doesn't make sense, when we don't understand We have to have faith that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. Have faith in God, who God says you are. Find your identity in that. You are a child of God. You've been bought at a high price and you've been put on this earth for a divine purpose. Have faith in what you've been called to do. It's simple. You've been called to proclaim the name of Jesus with everything that is in within you, with every breath that is in you, to proclaim the name of Jesus, what he's done for you, and what he can do for the people around you. And have faith in who Jesus is and what he did for you. If we can get a hold of these things, we can change this world and let them know the hope and the the power that we are able to walk in every single day. I don't know how people get along without knowing God. Every single day, I depend on him. Every single day, I have to call out for help. There's people lost and dying and hurting, and they don't have that hope. But we have the answer, and we've got to be bold enough to share that with them. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.